So Money Episode 517, David Bach. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. everyone. How are you doing? I'm your host, Farnoosh Sharabi. Hope it's been a great start to 2017 so far. And today's guest, he's an old friend and he is going to set us straight in the new year. David Bach is here. Yay! You know him well. David was featured during this podcast inaugural week back in January of 2015, along with you know, just some random people like Tony Robbins and Robert Kiyosaki. (laughs) Since then, David's been very busy traveling the country, meeting with his readers, his fans. And from that experience, he's released a revival of the book that really, I think in many ways, set off his fame and changed the way that we think about becoming rich. You know this book. He debuted it on The Oprah Winfrey Show in 2004 And now the automatic millionaire has been expanded and updated to reflect, you know, this really fast paced and in some ways very challenging financial world that we live in today. How have things changed exactly? We get into this in our conversation as well as the evolution of technology and how it's impacting our wallets, how to manage our money during a Trump presidency and the three words, David says, that will determine if you will be rich. It's a good episode. Here we go. Here's David Bach. David Bach, my friend, welcome back to So Money. Farnoosh, it's so good to be back with you. Congratulations. I mean, I know you're over 500 (laughs) podcast episodes. Like you and I were together. I think I was one of your first podcasts. You were were one of my, you helped me launch this show. So you bring good luck to this show. And I'm really honored that you are coming back and with such great news, relaunching Automatic Millionaire. And before we get into that book and all that's new about it, how are you? We haven't caught up in those since pretty much 2015. You stopped by in January. So what's a, a personal development that you're really excited about? God, you know, it is crazy that two years go by so fast. Um, you know, what's a personal development? You know, it's funny. Like today, I sent my kids off to school. They've got what, you know, and I, I can't, you know, how it is when you're a dad. Like I live to be a father. I mean, I've got this incredible six-year-old who's uh, in first grade and my, whose name is James and Jack's in seventh grade. And so like just really being a dad and spending amazing amount of time with my kids is, is like what I love, love, love to do. Oh my gosh, Jackson, uh, seventh grade. I know. It's crazy. I mean, like literally, to, I have to tell you, honestly, Farnish, like to, I'm still giving this kid like lots of hugs and kisses, even though like he's starting to pull away from me because he's 13. <laughs> and I came into the kitchen today and I gave him another kiss on his forehead. And I know he was having that 13-year-old moment where he's just like, oh, dad, come on. Seriously, dude, like it's don't give me enough. But, um, you know, I, it just, it, I just can't get over it. I just love being a dad. So uh, that's probably like the biggest thing. And then, you know, work-wise, I mean, my gosh, since I've seen you, there's been so much. We went out, we relaunched Smart Women Finish Rich, our seminars. 
which have, you know, like a half a million women have gone to those classes and we took those back out on the road again. And then I relaunched Smart Couples Finish Rich. And I think we've had a quarter of a million. This is over the lifetime of these seminars go through that program. And that was remarkable. I actually went on the road and, you know, got to be personally on out there doing these seminars again and really getting to meet my readers and meet people taking these classes. And that was just like so incredible for me because my books now they've been out for so long. A lot of people come and see these speeches and see me and they're telling me success stories that have been built up over a decade or even 13, 14, 15 years. And they're so incredible. Some of these stories and truthfully what happened to me on that last tour for smart couples finish rich is that, I think I felt like more people were actually talking to me about the automatic millionaire book. And even though they were coming to a smart couples seminar, a lot of them were holding the automatic millionaire book and they were holding a book in many cases that was 10 years old, right? Cause automatic millionaire came out in, I wrote it in 2003. I launched it on Oprah in 2004. So they're, you know, they had their like 10 year old book completely like, you know, tattered up and highlighted and, they would tell me their stories and then they'd go like, well, when are you updating these books? Cause you haven't done an update in a decade. And I'm like, Oh, I know I need to do an update. And so I made that a goal for uh, last, you know, really, I guess 2016 to update the book and, and put it back out into the world because I really want to reach the next generation. I mean, all of a sudden I, I've turned 50. I don't know how that happened. And, um, I was started this whole career in my twenties and I'm like, you know, now I want to reach the next generation. I want to reach 20 year olds and, and, and 30 year olds. And I want to get the, the millennials on this automatic millionaire program. Cause I know it can change their life forever. So that was well, a 50's long, 50s, the new 30, 50s, the new 30. So whatever 50. Exactly. Well, 50, I'm like, you know, <laughs> 50 and free, baby. Like, this is my year. I like, I'm so jazzed on this year. I'm like, I'm going to make, this is the year I'm like going to crush it like a teenager. And I can't wait for all the new things we're doing in this year. So well, launching it. Yeah. Go ahead. The millennials are easy now to, to, they're going to believe this. I mean, they, they were already automating everything. And in some ways your book, the automatic millionaire was ahead of its time. I think I heard you say something in a previous interview that while 10 years ago, it may have taken us an hour to automate our finances. Now it just takes minutes. And now we're not automating just our finances, but so much of our lives. So in some ways, this is an easy audience for you. Well, you know, you're right. I mean, that's part of the reason why I update the book is because technology has changed everything. Like, you know, if you go back to the automatic millionaire, how it was created, you know, I, I learned being a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley that the, that my clients who had all, my ordinary clients who had become what I would call extraordinarily rich, they had built a net worth of over a million dollars, not including their home. The clients that I had that had done that, they had done it through saving money automatically. And that used to be called a systematic investment plan. That's still what people sometimes call it. But you know, you had to fill out paperwork. It was like this big process. You had to sign all these documents and then money would be pulled from your account and moved like by a transfer to another account. And it seemed very overwhelming, you know, 20 years ago to do that. That's why not everybody did it. Today, you can get on your little iPhone and you can go click, click, click. And literally in like less than 10 minutes today, most people can open an account and start paying themselves first automatically. And in some cases, doing it for like little to no cost. Like the cost to get a lot of these accounts started for people 
you know, with as little as a dollar, by the way, because now you can start investing with a lot of these companies with as little as a dollar, um, has just become completely frictionless. And that's the exciting thing about technology. Like there's a company in this book that I featured that I kind of like got a crush on called Acorns. Um, Love and, Acorns. You know, Acorns, when I saw Acorns, Acorns was this, in this example, like updating the book. Acorns basically took my concept of the latte factor, which is let's take your change, let's take the money that you don't spend on small things, let's round it up for you automatically, let's help you invest it automatically in a portfolio, and let's, and you'll see that saving small amounts of money automatically can change your whole life. And it was very similar to the uh, Keep the Change card that Bank of America did, which I was involved in launching years ago, but that money moved into a savings account. So you go back to Acorns, I'm like, does this really work, right? So I immediately went on the phone, I went through the click, click, click process to see how long it would take me to open up an account. I think it took me literally like, I want to say eight minutes. I couldn't believe it. It was sort of like, wow. And then I called the company, called the founder, said, I have to come meet with you guys. Um, flew out to Irvine, got the download on what they were doing. Ultimately, I invested in the company as a, as a personal investor. Um, but that's just example of one company. Like Acorns is not the only one doing this. So in the automatic donor, I've got lots of these companies, Betterment, Wealthfront, Stash. There's so many great new fintech companies that are making the process of making your financial life automatic that it's going to change, I think, for especially millennials, the way we all save, invest, and track where our money goes. Yeah, there was actually an article in the New York Times this week about it, uh, mentioning some of the companies that you've talked about, and also Mint in some ways. And uh, you know, Mint was kind of like the first of its its uh, kind, but now you're right, Acorns. I love Digit too. Digit lets you save automatically on the go, rounding up. I guess it sort of looks at your income and your expenses and figures out a like a, you know a nominal amount to save for you every week. But that's that's the thing, you know, left to our own volition, we would not be saving a dime. And so thanks to FinTech for changing that. And of course your book, there are more millionaires now, David, than ever before. Do you think that you had something to do with that? <laughs> I, I like that. I would love to think that I've um you know, just the automatic millionaire book alone is a million and a half copies out. And the whole finish rich series, you know, smart women finish rich, smart couples finish rich, start late finish rich has over 7 million books out. So at this point between those 7 million books and the million people who've come through my seminars, honestly, Varnish, I do feel like I've made a small little dent in the world in terms of financial education. Um, but there's so much more work to be done. I mean, the, my biggest single complaint is that we don't have financial education in school systems. And, you know, I hope with Trump, I keep, I keep talking about this on interviews. I actually hope with Trump as our president that he will push to get financial education in the school systems. Cause if we start teaching, if everybody was taught what's in the automatic millionaire book before they got out of high school, we could change the face of this country financially. Uh, you know, the recent numbers, you probably saw this, the Federal Reserve came out with these numbers and everybody talked about it, how 47% of Americans can't get their hands on $400 in case of emergency purposes. Like, that's terrifying. That means like basically one in two Americans have less than six days of savings. So half of America is like really struggling. And then we have 10 million people who are now millionaires. And we actually have 
more wealth in our country than we've ever had. The number just went to over $90 trillion in total net worth. So, you know, if you're investing, if you're an owner, if you're practicing the things I teach in the Automatic Millionaire book, you're, you should be wealthier today than you've ever been because the stock market's at an all-time high and the real estate market's at an all-time high. And those two single things basically determine the net worth of most people in America. Um, you know, so that's a big part of, you know, we've had a, we had a remarkable seven and a half year run now. So you touched on Trump, you touched on housing. I want to talk about both of those things, but, but just now you just, you talked about how we've had this incredible run in the market and that obviously is not going to last. So, and, and I think we're anticipating that to some extent, like there has to be a correction. There has to be some softening. What can we do to help ourselves in in that predicament, given too that Trump, I mean, let's be honest, he's going to be helping the rich. So for the masses, how do we help ourselves, especially in those harder times that are not maybe, you know, down the road soon? Okay. So this is going to, so here's, first of all, people, you should go over to my website, davidbach.com and put your email into our list. And the reason I'm just saying that right now, or you can go visit me on Facebook, join our community. The reason I'm saying that is because I've just spent the last month creating a webinar that will get released when we have the next market correction. We're actually, I created it for my financial service clients because I'm now the director of investor education for a new financial service firm that we launched about six months ago. And we're literally preparing all the financial education pieces for our clients to go over how to prepare for a correction. So here's some things I can tell you about preparing for a correction. First of all, markets go up and markets go down. Really important to know that. Like, you know, corrections, which are considered markets of over 20, a drop of, of over 15 to 20% roughly. Bear markets are 20% or more. Uh, corrections are generally considered between 10 to 20%. They actually happen a lot. And a big thing to know is that, yes, markets go down and then they recover. So we've been on a roughly seven and a half straight year up run. We're up over, you know, the bottom was in February of 2009, I think. And we are up over 300 and some odd percent right now from that time, which is worth pointing out, too, because when that correction happened, people didn't believe the markets were going to recover. You know, you and I talked. I was all over the media doing Start Over, Finish Rich, literally sitting on shows like Today Show mm -hmm. saying, you know, recessions mint millionaires, corrections create massive opportunities. So it is important to know that if you are just getting started and we get a correction, that's great for you. That's called a market being put on sale. It's the same thing that happened with the real estate market. When the recession hit, homes got put on sale. You, you could go out and buy a home, in some cases below replacement costs, and people were like, oh, I'm never going to buy a home. I'm going to be a renter. Meanwhile, all those markets that got crushed, the average home price is up now over 57%. So, you know, the markets that nobody wanted to go to originally, the markets like Miami and Phoenix and Vegas and San Diego, all these markets that were these great markets that then got hit, smart investors rushed in and bought homes. So thing to know is this, you got to reprogram your brain. First of all, when the market's correct, seriously, don't panic. You need to breathe Turn off the negative news. Light don't spend candles. a lot. Of, yeah, don't <laughs> Do spend a, a lot. Of, don't spend a lot of time watching the financial news because it'll all be scary. Mm -hmm. uh, they they exacerbate it because they, they the the media makes it worse often than it is, and they try to come up with explanations. They get these negative talking heads on saying, you know, it's going to get worse. The market's going down fifty percent. 
for all these pundits out there that are always negative, you got to stay away from that negative news because you got to know long term in this country, the greatest country in the world where we have the economic engine of the world, things always improve and get better. As I sit here today for niche, the dollar is at a 14-year high, our value of our dollar. You know, eight years ago, when Obama was being elected, people were like, this is the end of the world. The American dollar is going to get you destroyed. We are just a laughing stock, blah, blah, blah. We have the strongest dollar that we've had in 14 years. We have the highest employment rate that we've had now in eight years. We have the strongest stock market we've ever we've seen in, in seven and a half years, actually ever. We have the highest cash sitting on company balance sheets that we've ever had. There is so much good news, which, by the way, is why the Federal Reserve is, is about to raise interest rates. So one thing you have to start preparing for is the fact that the Fed will rate, raise rates next year. That will start to impact a lot of people who are listening to this podcast right now. We should probably talk about that. Well, yeah, I do want to talk about the impact on housing, also because you are still advocating for people to become homeowners as a way to secure wealth. Whereas, you know, over the years, many people have come out saying, that's actually a terrible idea. You should rent because it creates more uh, lifestyle flexibility, more cash liquidity. It's not for everybody. And then we obviously have recent history to, you know, scare us from doing that. But you just also debunked that for us. <laughs> but, but you know, it is true that price, we're going to see a cool down in housing, not that because interest rates directly impact mortgage rates, but we're already seeing mortgage rates go up. We're already seeing there a little bit of a slowdown in home sales. And I just think, again, we've had it, we've had it so good the last four or five years that it's, it's time. So in that, New market that we're headed into: higher interest rates, maybe some lower lower prices on housing. For a seller, that's not so great. Um, what do you do? Do you buy? Do you rent? Do you shore up your cash and then wait to pounce? How do you how do you uh, tackle this? Okay, so now I'm going to be really careful how I answer this question because <laughs> I don't want to freak people out or scare anyone. But you know, in 2010, really 2009, when things were all on sale. I was an absolute raving bull market. Like you've got to take advantage of this guy. You know, like I was out there beating the drum to buy a home and invest in the market because it was obvious. Everything was cheap. You had, you had companies trading at four, five, six times multiples that traditionally trade at 12, 13, 14, 15 times revenue. Today, the stock market is trading at an average of 27 times. One of the highest multiples we've ever seen, you know, in the last 50 years. The market's the market's fully priced right now. Stock market. Um, we've had a movement since Trump got elected up nearly like I don't even know right in front of me. Like we're up like 2,000 points. Um, people thought the market was going to drop after Trump was elected. With real estate prices at an all-time high. So, and I, I'm not running. I'm running around today doing what I've always told people, which is you got to be a long-term investor. I am not telling people that right now things are cheap because I don't, I don't think things are cheap. It's hard to find anything that's cheap right now. Um, so, you know, let's go back to the basics. Like you shouldn't invest in the stock market unless you're investing for at least for a three-year time horizon, ideally five years or longer. So if you are, then you can ride out markets going up and markets going down. Most people who are listening to this who are investing like in a 401k plan, you know what? Just keep investing every two weeks. Leave it alone. Don't worry about it. If you're approaching retirement or you're retired, 
you need to then be thinking about this. You need to be sitting down with your financial advisor, truly digging into your overall risk tolerance and looking at your asset allocation. How much money do you have in stocks? How much money do you have in bonds? How much money is global? In terms of the bonds, are you short-term? Are you medium-term bonds or longer-term bonds? You really need to go into that the micro part of that with an advisor and look through, do like almost an X-ray vision of your portfolio. I think that's really important for those who are closer to retirement. You're, you're listening to this, you're in your 20s and 30s, don't even worry about this, just keep paying yourself first automatically. And the, and the key rule, one hour a day of your income. That's the key formula, we should talk about that in a second. But let me just go to the housing for a moment. You shouldn't buy a home if you're gonna move in a year or two. Like, that's just a given. But if you're gonna live somewhere for five years or longer, then even though housing right now might be an all-time high in your market, you might still want to be looking at buying a home. If you've got enough of a down payment, 10 to 20%, uh, you can still buy a home and get a really, you know, even if rates go up, they're still going to be much cheaper than they were 10 years ago. Rates, if we get back up to four, four and a half percent on a 30-year mortgage, you know, my first, my last home, my, when I first moved to New York, I went back and pulled my mortgage, 2002. The rate on my mortgage was 5.85%. That was 2002. So even if we get up to four, four and a half percent, still really cheap money. Long-term home investing works. It works because it forces people to save automatically. You're always paying your mortgage and you're paying down your debt if you do it correctly. And long-term, the value of homes go up. And what homes become for people is a forced piggy bank. You know, you turn around if you pay that home off early, which is what I teach you how to do in the automatic millionaire, I use a, it's called the bi-weekly uh, formula, the bi-weekly mortgage formula to pay your mortgage half every two weeks. You pay your mortgage off sooner. And when you do that, you get to retire sooner. So if someone's listening and they're 30 and I, I, mean, I get emails all the time, people in their thirties who 10 years later, they've followed my program and they've accelerated it and they own their home free and clear at the at 40. Um, You'd be remarkable. You know, you have a lot more options when you have no real overhead costs for where you live. Yes, you might have insurance and taxes, but that's way less than renting. And renting always goes up. The cost of rent. We, you and I live here in New York. Cost of rent has gone up fifty percent since the recession. The value of a home has doubled in many areas here since the recession. I will say, though, if you're looking for a nice two-bedroom in Brooklyn right now, <laughs> they have overbuilt on just my block alone. There's like three new condos. And so you can strike a little bit of a deal if you go in with uh, – if you go in now and maybe some cash to wave around. These landlords are – I think they overestimated the demand. But I know. Yes, you're right. I mean, you're preaching to the choir here. I am a homeowner. And in fact, my interest rate in 2004 when I first bought in New York was 6%. So you did even better than me. I uh, have since sold that property, and uh, for for a little nice little stash. So it, it and I held on to it for ten years. That's why. So yes, you have to be a long term owner in order to really be able to reap the benefits of home ownership. It's not for everybody. I mean, people come to the to me on the show. They've got debt, credit card debt, student loans, and they're just razor focused on becoming a homeowner. And I'm like, that's not. It's not on your to-do list right now. You know, that's a nice goal to have, but you have a lot more on your plate to, t to deal with, unfortunately. 
But I think it's important for people to have their big dream in front of them, you know, because if yes. it's true. It might not be on there. This is not your 12 month to do list, but I'll tell you what, I'm a big believer in funding a dream account. And so if a person doesn't want to buy a home and I've got credit card debt, cool, no problem. If you got 200 bucks, we're going to take one third of that money. We're going to put it towards your pay yourself first account and take one third of your money. We're going to put it towards your pay your debt down account. We're take one third of your money. And we're going to put it in your dream account and your dream account is going to go to buy that home someday. That kind of automated system allows people to go for their dreams. And the only way you get to your dreams is you start working on it because time goes by really fast. And I'll tell you what, if you're, even if it's five years from now, if you're not working towards that dream of buying a home five years from now, you're going to turn around and be five years older. You'll still be renting. Your rent will be 50% more and you will have no money in the account to go buy a house. And the markets will correct and there will be times where you'll be able to get better deals. And you just brought up a great example. There are a lot of markets that have gotten overbuilt. Things will cool down again. Prices will come down. That's why everything is always cyclical. So if you're building up a dream account for that opportunity, you know, maybe it's two, three years from now where things start to go on sale. Maybe it's 12 months from now, but whenever it is, if you start to build that dream account up, then you'll have that money to go and do that. Um, and, you know, you and I are living examples of how lucky sometimes you can get. If you live in a great city like New York, all, and if you just bought a place in New York, you just bought a place in San Francisco, there's so many of these markets where if you just got into something, it could be a, a five hundred could be a parking lot. Literally, <laughs> parking it, it, space. <laughs> you know, if you just got into a five hundred square foot studio, you got on the escalator to building wealth. I mean, I have friends today who live in multi million dollar apartments in the city, but they started. One of my friends started in a three hundred thousand dollars. It's amazing how expensive that was, but a three hundred thousand dollar studio. I have another friend who started in a hundred fifty thousand dollar studio. Now, in lots of parts of the country, that buys you like a house. So in some parts of the country, you can still buy homes for 50 grand. And, you know, in many markets today, it's actually cheaper to have a mortgage than it is to rent. So I don't know. I, I, I really I haven't lost my enthusiasm for home ownership. I think it's a fundamental part of the American dream. I realize it's not for everybody. And I realize a lot of people are still moving around quite a bit, especially millennials. But the challenge is if you're constantly moving around and you're not ever putting money into a savings account or an investment account or real estate, then you're going to be one of these 47% of Americans who basically have one week's expenses set aside. Barely. Something you're not enthusiastic about, David, though, budgets. Tell us why. Because they suck. Can we say that on a yes, podcast? Yes, of course. You can <laughs> always say that on this podcast. You know, budgets, first of all, people go, oh, you should have a budget. Like, like I don't know anybody. I mean, look, I know there are exceptions because whenever I say I don't know anybody, somebody wants to email me. Um, my experience in the real world is that people try to create budgets. They go on them for a month or two, and then they just they just they go off of them. They give up. It gets worse. It's almost like going on a bad diet, Right. Uh, and I find that for couples, budgets are really not effective because in most relationships, one person wants the budget and the other person doesn't. You know, I always say people are born one of two ways. You're either born to spend or you're born to save. And those people usually fall in love and get married. So, you know, what I've seen in the real world and, you know, you go back to the automatic millionaire book. It was the most important lesson that the McIntyres taught me. We haven't even talked about the McIntyres. Jim and Sue McIntyre are the couple that basically – Get, taught me the system of how to become an automatic millionaire and how to change my life. 
And when they came in my office and they were 52 and able to retire and they had no debt and they were worth nearly $2 million. And I said to them, what did you do to be in this position? And they looked at me for and they said, we just did everything that you taught in that four week class. I'm like, really? That's it? You really did all that? They're like, all those things. We paid ourselves first automatically. We used our 401k plan. We bought a home and paid the debt down. We didn't sell that house. We bought it in the second home and we rented the first. What we didn't do is we didn't budget. Is that you spent like an hour on budgeting and that, that class used to be 10 hours long. And they go, you know, it was interesting and you give off all those worksheets and it was, you know, it made a lot of sense. But it doesn't work. Like we tried that. In fact, we almost got divorced our first year trying to have all that budgeting. We tried the envelope system and like it just didn't work. What worked for us was, was saving everything, saving the money automatically. And once it was automated, then we couldn't fail. And it, that was like my biggest light bulb Oprah aha moment because I walked back into my office and I'm like, of course, look at all my clients who are rich. I mean, I had a, I, you know, I was had a huge book of business at Morgan Stanley. I had hundreds of clients who were self-made millionaires. I started asking them, did you, you know, did you budget to get here? None of them budgeted to get there. The secret thing they did, which is not a secret anymore, they paid themselves first automatically. And then I started teaching people, it's not just pay yourself first automatically, it's that you can automate everything. So like in the Automatic Millionaire book, there's a what I call the Automatic Millionaire Blueprint. And there are seven places that your money should go to automatically. It takes about an, less than an hour to hook that all up. And once it's done, you know, you can have 90, 95% of your financial life automated. And you can look at everything and monitor it in less than 10, 10 minutes a month. And then go on to your life and not have to worry about the money part. So automating was sort of a secret back when you brought it to the masses with the launch of the Automatic Millionaire. What do you think... I mean, just from your perspective, you've you've seen a lot. You've met with a lot of people. You're completely entrenched in this industry. What's a secret still that we don't know enough about as far as managing our money, achieving millionaire status, achieving wealth? Is there something that you just wish people would inherit and adopt as they have with automation? What's something that we still that, that we can do better with? Okay, I'm going to give you two words. Write these two words down. I'm getting, I'm getting the chills as I'm about to share these two words. The words are benign neglect. <laughs> benign neglect. Now, Ignorance? Is that what the – can I no, give no, you ben- one word for that? No, no, it's not. Benign neglect means like, you know, you, you create something and you, le- you leave it alone. So it, the interesting thing is that, that I got that tip – from a guy named Bob Gardner, who was the head of Dean Witter, when I was a kid, I, 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 I you know, I once heard of you. You know, you want to, you want to get a chance to spend time with somebody who's like a legend, who's like a CEO. After a keynote speech, ask him if you can take him to the airport because nobody ever does that. So this guy's, you know, the head of our firm. I go running up to him. I'm like, do you have a ride to the airport? He's like, no. I'm like, can I give you a ride? He's like, well, I've got a car coming. I'm like, he's, I'm like, well, can I go with you? Can I go in the car with you? He's like, you know, like, sure, kid, come along. And I, I said, you know, you've had, you've had this entire career in this business. If you could give me one tip, what would it be? And he said, it's benign neglect. And I said, well, you know, what do you mean? 
He said, you know what? When you set something up right in the beginning, if you just leave it alone, it'll do fine usually. He's like, people look at their investments and they're constantly, it's like, a, like imagine if, if instead of pulling out the weeds, every time you put a seed in the ground and it started to grow just a little bit, you pulled it up to look at it. And he said, then it would be dead. And he's like, people do this with investing all the time. Now, I was young. I was in my 20s when he gave me that lesson. I don't even know that I really always followed it well enough. <laughs> but now that I'm older, now at 50, that I look back, I'm like, every single thing practically that I've sold has gone up in value more than what I sold it for. In some cases, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 times more, even though I made money. If I had just left it alone, I'd have so much more money today than I even have now. What most investors do that screws everything up is they try and time the market. They're actually constantly fiddling with their investments, even though everybody says they're going to be a long-term investor. Even people who hire financial advisors and they say, well, we're going to be long-term with this. When the going gets tough, when the market's correct, people make changes. And I mean drastic changes. They try and time the market. They go to cash when the market corrects hoping that they'll, they'll then get back in when everything calms down and they'll somehow catch the ride back up. The average investor, when you dig into the data on investing, it's, it's, it's quite depressing, actually, because the average investor, if you, if you look at the markets and you go, you know, if you just bought an S&P 500 index fund and you left it alone, you've averaged over 11%. You know, it's just, it's just remarkable. Like, you, you've done great in an average index fund. You've just left it alone. But average investor hasn't left it alone. Their returns have been half of that at best. In some cases, when you go into like Dalbar's research, the average investor's returns have been like three and a half, four, four and a half percent. And then after and it's, fees, forget it. And taxes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why, why did they, why has the average investor done so poorly? It's because they're constantly fiddling with their investments. So the secret is you can't time the market. It's not going to work. You have to be right, not once, but twice. You're not going to figure out when to sell and when to buy. And this is important information because like you just said, I don't know when you know, this is going to air the first week of January. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we'll have anything happen before the day this airs or if something will happen right after the day this airs. But at some point, the market's going to correct. And look, we're up over 300%. If the markets dropped 50% from here, which would be a disaster, we would all hate to see that happen. I don't want to see that happen. It's not an inconceivable thing, though, that it can happen again. History shows that markets go up and markets go down. So you have to do a gut check on yourself and be like, whoa, you know what? Did he just say the markets could drop in half? No, I'm not predicting that, but I'm telling you that, <laughs> that there's – you have to look at history and know it's happened before. Right. And you either have to be like, okay, I'm cool. I'll put a seatbelt on. I can ride through this. Or if you're like, you know what? I'm not cool. I can't handle this market going down 50%. Then you redo your, your portfolio and you make it more conservative. But the key thing, get something that you can be comfortable with for a long period of time and then leave it Hello. Yes. Set it and forget it. And maybe the secret is, is that there is no secret. Just uh, have contacts. Look at history. You know, history repeats and history has been good. You know, we come out on the, uh, on, on the bright side, you, you know, history has, history has been phenomenal. Let me tell you something. 
it pays to be an optimist. All right. Optimists are the ones that get wealthy in this country, not pessimists. Mm -hmm. So it pays to be optimistic. And I think that the secret to everything is financial education, which is why you're such a blessing, which is why this podcast is so valuable, which is why you and I do what we do, which is that I think the secret's financial education. When you know better, you can do better. And financial education is, you know, it's not a one-stop learn this and you're done. It's constantly learning it and learning it and learning it. And even like 90% of what I've talked about today, I've talked about it a thousand times before. I keep saying the same, but the lessons haven't changed. And repetition is the mother and the father of all life skills. Sometimes you got to hear things over and over again. And sometimes you got to be reminded of what you know you should do that somehow you stop doing. Well, David, we could just end there, but because you just did a nice little conclusion for me. Thank you so much. <laughs> Before I let you go, I do want to know the three words that determine if you'll be rich. I wanted to get that before we leave. Oh, I mean, it's really simple. People go, how do I know if I'm going to be rich? I go, very simple. Do you pay yourself first? Do you pay yourself first? And Because if you don't, I don't know how you're going to get there. You pay yourself first is the absolute three key words to building wealth for life. And what the formula to paying yourself first is, here's the magic formula. One hour a day of your income you keep for yourself. So if you're going to work, go to work at nine and you're going to work until five, most people go to the work for the government until about lunchtime, which kind of makes you want to come to work after lunch, but you can't. And the government takes your money from you automatically. And what I teach in the Automatic Millionaire book is go jump in front of the government legally, take that first hour day of your income, automatically move that money into your pay yourself first account. And that could be the 401k plan. That could be an IRA account. If you're self-employed, it could be a SEP IRA or a one person 401k plan. But that is the formula. Well, that's part of your magic too. You put things so neatly in these things, like these concepts and these terms that we can actually believe in. Like, yes, I have an hour a day. If that's all it really takes, I can do that. So thanks for just helping us shift our minds a little bit around this because it does require that. David Bach, thank you so much. Everyone, David's got a virtual book signing in uh, in just a few days, January 10th. Go to livesigning.com slash David. And we have all the information about his free virtual class at sobunnypodcast.com. Definitely check that out. That's also free to attend and it's called Start Late, Finish Rich. David, I hope you have a blessed new year. Thank you so much and congratulations. Farnoosh, you too. Continued uh, happiness and success to you and love to catch up with you again. Be well. Thanks again, David Bach, for joining us on So Money. Looking forward to having him back on again. Can't wait to see what he's up to next. David is also doing a virtual book signing on January 10th. It's free to attend. If you're interested, head to livesigning.com forward slash David. He's also offering his first virtual class on Creative Live on January 19th. So mark your calendars. It's called Start Late, Finish Rich. You can go to somoneypodcast.com to get that link so that you can sign up. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about David, his site is very simply davidbach.com. And he is on Twitter at author David Bach. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. This was kind of a good one to run on repeat, right? Just put it on in the background. It's good learning through osmosis. Thanks for tuning in. Hope your day is so money.